My name's Steve. I am the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning. It is so good to see you all. This morning we're going to Psalm 1. We're going to be finishing up our series in the Psalms. And so why don't you flip over there, Psalm 1. Um, and uh, there we go. Page 448, if you're using one of our Bibles and the chairs around you. Page 448, Psalm 1. While you're flipping over there. Uh, next Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series uh, called Holier Than Now. I am super pumped about this. I met last week and just kind of nailed down the details with Aaron, and um, uh, I am so excited about this. Uh, it, we're going to be taking a look at, at really the beauty of holiness, the invitation of holiness. And, and in that process, we're going to be taking a look at how we often get holiness wrong, how we often... Um, attribute wrong ideas to it, make wrong assumptions about it that leave us feeling inadequate, condemned, um, helpless, I mean, even hopeless, honestly. Uh, holiness is a beautiful invitation to a phenomenally dynamic life. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at. And, and if you're coming in, you know, to church or this series feeling a little beat up, honestly, just feeling like, um, you know, like maybe church isn't your thing or, or you know, that you don't belong uh, in, in these circles because, you know, maybe your act isn't together or you look around and you think, man, these people have, have, have it all together in ways I don't. Uh, I think this, this series is going to be really comforting to you and an invitation to you to a lot of freedom. So uh, simultaneously with this sermon series, we are going to be um, working with our community group leaders. This is probably the most significant reset we have had in the life of our church to our central discipleship model, to our community groups. We're going to be taking seven weeks, and we're going to be investing in our community group leaders. Um, and that means a couple things. One, uh, we're not launching community groups immediately like we normally do in the fall. We're putting them on hold for a little while because we're going to take some time and specifically be working with our leaders, investing in our leaders during this period of time. But that doesn't mean I want you just sitting around waiting, right? I don't want you passive. Um, of course, you can continue meeting. Those of you who are in community groups, you can initiate. You don't have to wait for others to initiate on your behalf. You can actually initiate and invite people over and continue to pursue community and to build relationships during this time. And there are two specific opportunities I want to put in front of you um, that you can uh, engage uh, to honestly serve our community group leaders. Our community group leaders are some of the most dedicated and sacrificial people we have in the church. Uh, they, they open up their lives, their homes on a regular basis. Uh, they work through exhaustion. They, they, there are, you know, it's not like you can have a bad week and be like, you know, I'm just going to call in sick this week. I mean, it is, it is um, a dedicated um, act of service, and, and you have the opportunity to serve the leaders. You have an opportunity to encourage them and to bless them, and the first is to pray. And, uh, and often when we say, when we call people to prayer in the church, I think a lot of times people are like, oh yeah, that's such a good idea, such a religious thing to do. Um, we absolutely believe in the power of prayer. It, it makes a real and significant difference. And um, this, you know, we, we've had people praying over this space even this morning, praying over you, 
um, for you to hear the word of God, for your hearts to be softened as you come into this space, for the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to speak to you, right? It's real, it's powerful, the Spirit responds to that. And next week, we're encouraging you to pray, specifically at 5.30. Next week at 5.30, the leaders will be gathering for the first of the trainings, and they're going to be sharing a meal together. And there are two ways you can do this. The first is we're inviting you to actually join us. Uh, we're going to have a group of people actually praying on site here at 5.30. And if you can do that, we would love to have you um, praying over the, the leadership training, praying over the leaders, praying over uh, our church and our, 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 our desire to see people grow in grace and become like Jesus, right? Um, and if you want to come in person, we're going to ask you to go to Connection Point right out in the lobby, sign up. We're going to make sure we get you some information and, and connect you with the right people. Uh, you can also pray from home. Like for some, I know for some of you, getting here on a Sunday afternoon at 530 is not possible, but you can intentionally create space from home. We're going to be putting some prayer prompts on our Slack channels. Uh, we have a, a women's Slack channel and a men's Slack channel, vibrant communities where we share information and keep people connected. If you're not connected to Slack yet, you're missing out. And so I'm going to encourage you to go visit Connection Point. They will help you get connected to Slack to actually figure out what that thing is, how to download it, and how to engage with that community. So that's the first opportunity is to pray, okay? And we're asking everyone to do it, okay? I, I'm really, I'm asking everyone to do it. If you are in a community group, pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the training pray for our church, okay? The second is this. Next week, they're going to be, our community group leaders are going to be sharing a meal, and we thought about catering it, um, which obviously has some benefits. It's, it's easy, um, but it actually robs it of, of something that we thought was really vital to the experience. It makes it very impersonal. When you cater food, you don't know who made it. There's really no personal connection to it. You're just showing up like you're showing up to a restaurant. You're consuming, uh, but you're not having any kind of genuine experience. So we're actually asking you to contribute by cooking. You might be able to make something in a crock pot, right? You might be really good at smoking those ribs. I don't know, just saying, just floating it out there, right? If you got it, share it, right? This is your chance to flaunt it. Uh, and, and, and you can uh, bring it and, and um, we would actually love it if, if not only were the dishes served, but we, we had little tags that showed us who was providing that food makes it so personal. It makes it so different when, when you know these are people that it's an actual practical expression of love. You know what I'm saying? Like you're actually showing up. Meals are such powerful times in the gospels and in our lives for sharing love and building community. And, and we just think this is a powerful way. We can't all be together for the meal, but this is a powerful way for us to share love in that process. Some by, by um, loving and delivering and others by receiving that love. And, um, and so if you're willing to do this, we're going to ask you to go and get in the connection point. You getting the theme there? Uh, go to connection point. We'll have a sign up. We'll get you some information about how to do it and when to show up and all that. Lauren's really the coordinator on all things logistics. She'll be able to answer those questions. Um, but go to connection point and we'll get you hooked up. Cool? Cool? So do community groups start next week? No. They don't. Okay. So you can send me a text saying, hey, the community group start next week, and I'll be like, it's been in the bulletin for three weeks, right? I just need to get that t-shirt. My pastor friend had that. I loved it. So I'm communicating clearly. Community groups are on hold, okay? And, um, uh, and it's for a very, very intentional purpose, 
And so we're asking you to, to, to really enter into what's going on. All right, last week I had the opportunity to climb a couple 14ers out in Colorado. If you're like, what's a 14er? Uh, a 14er is a 14,000 foot peak. Uh, there are 58 of them in Colorado. Uh, that was my number nine and number 10. This has kind of weirdly become a hobby for me. I never imagined it would, but every summer I look forward to getting out there. And this year I summited La Plata Peak and Mount Massive. Um, and, uh, and the first day we did La Plata and it was, I'm telling you, it was grueling. Uh, we drove 15 hours to get to Colorado. We slept in a tent, immediately got up and started climbing. I hadn't fully acclimated. I didn't feel great, um, and the day was, was kind of brutal. I'm just going to be honest. And as we climbed, the peak was in a cloud. And that, that just, one, makes a little bit of anxiety because you have to be really, really careful uh, with any kind of thunder activity. So you can have a steady cloud with steady rain, no problem at all. But if there's any kind of instability, you've got to get off the mountain. Um, but it wasn't. It was nice and steady. But that meant we were climbing up. And, and when we entered the cloud, of course, temperature drops, visibility drops, everything gets wet. Um, and, uh, and as we get toward the top, we'd already worked, it was a 12-mile hike. We're about seven miles in. I'm pretty exhausted. And we're getting toward the final saddle, where the saddle is, is a flat area. And over here, you have um, a false summit. It's the wrong summit. It's over 14,000 feet, but it's not La Plata. And over here is the summit summit, right? You got to work your way up to it. Well, I don't know that. Like, I'm just coming up. The guy ahead of me is the map guy. I'm not the map guy. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit show up and just follow it, right? We'll figure it out as we go. And I look up and I see him working his way to the right, which I've already told you this is the false summit. We didn't know that. And so I'm like, okay, so I'll just follow him. And as I'm working my way around, I look back and I, it looks like what is a trail going off to the left. I'm like, that's funny. And as I'm working my around, way around, the, the rocks are really loose. And you can tell they haven't been walked on because they're not, you know, when, when people are walking on rocks a lot, they, they kind of leave a tread. You can see the wear marks. No wear marks, loose rocks, not a good sign, very steep. And, uh, and so I, I decide I need to work my way up to the summit just to see if I can find out where my friend went and get, just kind of get the lay of the land. So I work my way up to the false summit and I don't see him anywhere. Like I just see clouds and drop-offs. That's all I see. And, uh, and I look to the left and I can see the, the path. Like I'm like, okay, from up here, I can actually see where we should have gone. Uh, in that moment, I will, I will admit, I had a little anxiety, um, just a little. Um, I, it, it felt like I was alone on the moon um, because I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, so I just start calling my friend's name. And it's almost like the cloud swallows your voice, like it's not carrying because I don't get any responses. And, and, um, and so I'm calling for him. And, and long story short, eventually I do hear him calling back. He didn't. He's okay. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I can, I can make him out and he's actually sitting way down the hill, but he's sitting and I can tell he's looking at his map and I'm like, I'm like, it's this way, right? Come back. And so he makes his way back. We make our way down. We get up to the summit of La Plata, all four. I was climbing with three of the friends and, and it started snowing while we're there and, uh, we summited La Plata you know, yay, we did it. Uh, and we made it down safely, even though it rained on us, and it was really a miserable day. The next day was beautiful, though. Next day, best day ever. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. He had rounded the false summit, and he had found some cairns. Um, and, and if you don't know what cairns are, cairns are those stacks of rocks that people build, right? And, and you'll see them do it all the time, because 
people just like to build stacks of rocks. You'll see them in random places in rivers or, or things like that. But out on the mountain, they actually have a very specific purpose. They mark the trail. When you see a cairn, somebody built that to say, this is the way, this is one of the paths, this is how you get there. Well, he found the cairns and he was working his way along them. The problem was they were cairns from another way up. And he was working his way down. And there are multiple ways to get up the mountain. We chose the safest. So if he had kept going, who knows what that would have led him to? Because some of the, some of the routes up the mountain require very technical climbing and they are quite dangerous. And, uh, and in the fog of the cloud, it could have been very easy to get in trouble very quickly. So here's the thing. If I would have followed him, I would have been in trouble. If I didn't call him back, he would have been in trouble. But because we were together, we ended up being safe. Um, listen, this is the big theme I'm getting at, okay? I didn't want to just tell you about La Plata. I did, because I'm excited about it. But um, who we walk with determines where we go. Who we walk with determines where we go. We are deeply influenced by the company we keep. In fact, we're more deeply influenced by the people around us, the voices that we allow in, than, than we honestly um, understand or give credit to. There's a guy named Josh Howerton. He's a pastor out in, in Texas. Um, he's a guy that I've connected with over the last couple of years. He he was mentored by, by Darren Patrick, my mentor, my pastor, and we ended up connecting. And um, I love following him. He is the master of catchy phrases. And this last week, he shared this one. He said, you will walk like who you walk with. Did you catch that? You will walk like who you walk with. In other words, you can look at your friends and you can see your future. The people you surround yourself with will influence you and ultimately shape you. And what we're going to look at in Psalm 1 is if you want to walk in the blessing of the Lord, if you want to walk in the blessed life that God has promised you, you need friends who value the Word of God and who delight in the God of the Word. Okay, so let's take a look at Psalm 1. Um, anybody here take, take me up on the hashtag Psalm 1 challenge uh, over the last couple weeks? Memorize Psalm 1. Yeah? Yeah? Um, I'm going to encourage you to say it with me. This is your chance. You get to recite it, okay? And, and because I'm the one leading it, you don't need to be afraid. If you miss a word, it's no big deal. And here's the thing. I've memorized Psalm 1 in like three different versions now, and as a result, I often use wrong words in wrong places. Don't freak out. It, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay, all right? Um, but let's see if we can do this together. Are you guys with me? Are you with me? All right, here we go. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous." 
The way of the righteous the Lord has known, but the way of the wicked will perish. Some of you dropped off there toward the end. It's okay. It's all right. You started strong. You started strong. Keep working on it, okay? Keep working on it. It's six verses. Don't give up on hashtag Psalm 1 challenge, y'all. Let's memorize this thing and let's embed it in our hearts, okay? So Psalm, Psalm 1. Um, Psalm 1 describes the blessed person, right? Blessed is the man who, or blessed is the human. Blessed is the person who. And here's the thing. I, we, I, I find myself getting a little hung up on the language, right? Because the word blessed is such a churchy word, right? And it can mean so many things. When someone's like, bless your heart, right? They don't mean the same thing I think the psalmist meant, you know? And they're like, oh, bless your heart, right? That, that's a that's a very southern way of saying, mm, I feel sorry for you, right? Or, or go away. Uh, it's such a churchy word, right? And I know for some of you, you may not even realize it, but kind of in, in the back of your head, you're like, I don't know if I'm about all that blessed stuff. I just want to be happy. You know, that's really what I want. I just want to be happy. I want to be content. I want to have purpose. I want to, right? But listen, that's exactly what it's talking about. The word blessed literally means, oh, the happiness, Oh, the happiness. It is an exclamation of strong emotion. And it's plural. It's actually, oh, the happinesses, right? Because it's talking about the fullness and variety of joy. The blessed life is exactly what you're hoping for. It is the fullness of life. It is the life you've always wanted. It is, it is what you want, whether you know it or not. It, it is why you get up. It's why you get going. And it's why you keep going. It's because you have a hope that you will be able to taste a little bit more of the blessed life. If you didn't have this hope, you wouldn't get up. You wouldn't move, right? Listen, you want this life, right? You want this life. If you really want this life, you need to pay close attention to the people that you've given influence over your mind and your heart. You need to pay really close attention to your friends, those that you allow to have the greatest influence on your values and your choices and your direction. Psalm 1 actually compares two groups of people. I don't know if you noticed, but you have the wicked and the righteous, right? And all the way through, the wicked and the righteous are being compared. Um, and it describes both their current life and the ultimate end of their lives, right? Um, the righteous, man, the righteous, we're told, are like trees, right? In verse three, it says, uh, he is like a tree, right? That metaphor, that metaphor or simile, since there was the word like, um, speaks of strength. It speaks of solidity. It speaks of longevity, right? It is, it is something strong, right? And it, and it is rooted, right? It, it, is, it is vibrant, right? He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I don't know if you've noticed that, that little word planted. Uh, it's passive. The tree didn't plant itself. The blessed life means you have been planted. Somebody intentionally put you where you are, and that somebody is God. There is an intentionality about where you are, who you are, an intentionality about God working over your story regardless of the circumstances. The blessed person isn't just some random tree growing out on the side of a hill. It is a planted tree. 
There's an intentionality of a God who is telling a story that is greater than our story. He is telling a story that incorporates our story, redeems our story, restores our story. And we're not just planted in any random place. We are planted by streams. The Hebrew word for streams here means irrigation channels. In the arid Middle East in which the psalmists wrote, you wouldn't want to be a tree that was randomly planted just out in some place where you had to depend on seasonal rainfall because seasonal rainfall could be incredibly um, uh, unpredictable and seldom would support the life of, of anything other than a, a, like a cactus or a, you know, a, a, some sort of plant that is uh, drought resistant. This is a tree that is planted by irrigation channels. And what that means is that the water may not always be flowing, but the water is always intentional. The blessed life is a life in which the water flows in such a way that it gives you life, and when it stops, it's intentional. Because there are seasons in a plant's life where, in fact, a little bit of stress actually helps them become healthy. A little bit of stress actually increases their fruitfulness. A little bit of stress can actually help them. Like there are vines that, that um, are cultivated that they will go a full year where they put the, the, the plant under stress. Not so much stress that it dies, but so much stress that the internal makeup of its cellular, it changes. So that the next year it explodes in fruitfulness. You are planted by streams of water intentionally planted. God allows and creates opportunities for you to become fruitful, and that's why it yields its fruit in its season. It doesn't mean that it's always fruitful, but it's intentionally fruitful. In the season of fruitfulness, it yields its fruit. It produces its fruit. It is, it is fruitful. When it comes time to bear fruit, it's fruitful. It isn't barren, even though there may be seasons in which it doesn't bear fruit because other things are happening. But through it all, its leaf does not wither. There is such a care, a tender care for this tree that even as it's going through these cycles of stress and fruitfulness of water and of drought, the leaf doesn't wither. The tree is never allowed to go through so much stress that it dies, that it loses its vibrancy, its leaf does not wither. It may go through seasons of fruitfulness, seasons of stress, but it doesn't lose its strength and its vitality. And then it switches at the end of the verse. It no longer is talking metaphorically about the tree. Now it starts talking about a person. And in all he does, he prospers. Holy cow. In all he does, he prospers. This is the life you have always wanted. Now, this doesn't mean that the blessed life always prospers financially, right? Like, we have these really, really twisted views of what prosperity is, that, that I need to have a lot of money, I need to have a lot of vacation, I need to have a lot of comforts, I need to have a lot of, but, but prosperity isn't talking about the temporal wealth of this world, it includes that, our needs are met, but it's talking about the truer, deeper wealth the promise of unending joy and purpose and strength. The one who prospers in all things isn't the one who goes from financial success to financial success. It's the one who is able to be content in all situations. The one who finds joy in all contexts. 
That's the person who's rich. That's the person who has the blessed life, right? But the wicked are not so. The wicked, the other group, they're like the chaff. Now, I'm sure when you were memorizing this, you, you went ahead and Googled chaff, if you didn't already know, and you, you took a look at the Wikipedia page, and you found out that in, uh, in, in the Old Testament times, they would, they would harvest the wheat, and they would bring it to the threshing floor, and they would take that wheat, and they would throw it into the air, and, and the wheat had a, a substance to it, and it would fall back to the floor, but the chaff was the outer hull around the wheat, and the wind would pull that outer hull off and blow it away, Right? The wicked are like the chaff, which the wind blows away, the outer hull of the wheat, right? It has no stability. Now, you know, the chaff has its moment when it's connected to the wheat, and it it seems to be part of the plant itself, but when the test comes, they have no stability. They have no sticking power. They, They are blown away. As a result, they can't stand. Right? That's where the next verse takes us. Because they have no stability, they have no ability to stand. They have no foundation on which to stand, right? And so therefore, they, they do not stand in the judgment, nor do they stand in the congregation of the righteous. This is theologically what we call eschatological language. Eschatology is the study of end times and and when we talk about an eschatological passage, what it means is, is the psalmist is looking at the wicked from the lens of the final judgment. When Jesus, when God reveals uh, where all of human history is going, right? What the end times look like. At this point, um, the psalmist is taking a look at the life of the wicked through the lens of this, this final judgment. They, they cannot stand in the judgment. They have no place in the congregation of the righteous because they have no foundation on which to stand. The congregation of the righteous is safe and secure. It is strong. It is standing safely in this season of judgment. So we need to start here um, to really understand these two groups, the wicked and the righteous. Because the reality is, if we were measured according to our own behavior, our own choices, we'd all end up in the same group. It doesn't matter how religious you are, it doesn't matter how moral you are, it doesn't matter how self-controlled you are, it doesn't matter how many good things you do compared to your bad things, you would be among the wicked. We are, by birth and by choice, in the chaff. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, put it this way in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. Right? In this metaphor, God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And instead of gladly following the shepherd, we're like, more like herding cats, right? We just kind of go our own way, right? Everybody did that which was right in his own eyes, right? There's this sense in which we just kind of follow our nose, we follow our impulse, or we follow the rear end of the person in front of us. And as a result, we, we lose sight of the shepherd. We make choices that ultimately disqualify us from being in the congregation of the righteous, right? The prophet Isaiah is making it very clear. There aren't three groups of people, right? There's not God, good guys, and bad guys. There's just God and bad guys. All we like sheep, right? There's God and the wicked. That's all there are, right? Now, that can make Psalm 1 feel a little bit like a bait and switch. If you're reading Psalm 1 and you're like, well, if all there is is God and the wicked, and then Psalm 1 is like, hey, here's how you can live the blessed life. Psych! 
Not for you, because you're like the chaff, not like the tree. And you can try all you want to put your roots in the ground, but you got no roots because you're blowing in the wind. And that's all you got, right? It's, it's like, like, what am I supposed to do with that? If I'm the wicked, what hope can I have? Here's the thing. The blessed life described in Psalm 1 is a description of one life. Only one human has ever lived on the face of the earth who has been what humans were created to be, who lived the human life as the human life was meant to be lived, and that was Jesus. He was human as we were meant to be human, and he lived the life we should have lived. He lived the blessed life. He was the blessed man, the only one who ever, ever was. Psalm 1 is a a description of Jesus. But who then is this congregation of the righteous? If there's only one, how does that make a congregation, right? If you're hanging out by yourself, congregation's kind of the wrong noun to be used to describe you, right? How is there a congregation? Well, there's a congregation because there are two ways to become righteous. One is by earning righteousness through active obedience, actually living the blessed life, which Jesus did. The other is by receiving righteousness by grace through faith, receiving the gift of righteousness from God. See, we receive the righteousness of Jesus' obedience, his active obedience as a gift when we receive Jesus, when we, when we believe in Jesus and we receive the grace of the gospel. We are shifted into the congregation of the righteous because we're covered in his Righteousness. He takes our guilt so that we can get his righteousness, right? This is exactly what Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned away, each one to our own way, right? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our judgment so that we could stand in the congregation of the righteous. And this is what it means, y'all. If you want the blessed life, this is the first step. You got to receive Jesus. If you want the blessed life, you need to be in the congregation of the righteous, and there's only one way for you to get there. And that's not through your active obedience. It's by receiving the credit of his. It's not by your performance, but by your resting in his performance on your behalf. It is by you receiving grace by believing in Jesus. And it's really as simple as that. Grace is given to anyone who shows up giving God nothing but their need. I am here with my need, and God says, I am here with your grace. I am here with my sin. Jesus says, I am here with my righteousness. He took our iniquity and paid the price so that we could take his righteousness and stand in his blessing. So that's all there is to it, right? You believe in Jesus, and now you get to live the blessed life. It's that easy right? Followers of Christ, isn't that what you're experiencing? Are you not living the fullness of the blessed life? No, not so much. Not always feeling like a tree planted by streams of water, fully, fully fruitful, Woo-hoo. right? Leaf isn't withering, Mm-mm. feel great, totally content. Everything I do, I prosper. Could you say that? Are you there yet? Now, because here's the thing, right? Um, The psalm describes both the end result of these two groups, 
like looking at it from the end result. And from the end result, that is you, by the way. You go out to the broadest perspective, follower of Christ, and you are a tree planted by streams of water. You will be blessed. You have been covered in the act of righteousness of Christ. You will receive all the blessings of God in Christ. That's yours, right? But the psalmist doesn't just describe the end result. It describes the path that we walk during this life to experience it. In other words, you can be blessed with a great future and miss out on its benefit here and now. This psalm isn't just comparing the end results of two groups of people. It's comparing two paths that we can walk on, right? The very last verse says, For the Lord knows the path or the way of the righteous, but the path or the way of the wicked will perish. It's describing two ways of doing life, not just two end results of the lives that we live how we live our life matters. Which group of people we give influence to in our lives matters. So we can go back up to verses one and two, right? Verse one, blessed is the man, and it describes first of all what this person doesn't do, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is describing a path of life. A series of choices that will lead you, like cairns, they lead you. Those markers on the path, they lead you to a destination. And one path is going to lead you to being like a tree. And the other is going to lead you to having the experience of being chaff, groundless, uncertain, and unstable. This first way leads to that result. Three things. Walk in the counsel of the wicked. Stand in the path of sinners. Sit in the seat of scoffers. This is what we call Hebrew parallelism. Three statements that um, uh, say the same thing, but in slightly different ways. It's a form of Hebrew poetry that gets you to be kind of meditative. Like, what does this mean? How do do these three ideas uh, contrast? How are they different? And I I see in this passage a progression from walking to standing to sitting, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Listen, to walk in the counsel of the wicked, you don't have to be taking advice from Hitler. You just have to be ordering your life according to the values of worldliness. Now, let me remind you, worldliness isn't isn't this really, really wicked thing that's obvious to see, right? Worldliness very simply means trying to do life in this world without humble dependence on the God who created it. Worldliness is is our attempt to use the things of this world to get what only God can give. So when we look to our success, we look to our performance, we look to our effort, we look to our families, we look to our finances to give us significance, to give us security, to give us affirmation, to give us a sense of worthiness, to give us a soul rest. When we're looking to the things that God created instead of the God who created them, that's worldliness. And we are walking in the counsel of the wicked, right? You don't have to be taking advice from Hitler. You just have to adopt worldly values. And what that means is that you might be a Christian who, who is like on a highway, like you're on 270, and you look around, you're in your car, and you're like, like I'm in a Christian car. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good things. I'm avoiding bad things. There's an exit. I don't take that exit. That goes bad places. 
And, and this lane over here goes too fast. I stay in the right lane, right? I'm, I'm following. And, and you look around on the highway and you're like, I know I'm going the right way. You know why? Because I see other Christians in other cars all going the same direction. And because I see other Christians on the same highway going the same direction, I must be going the right direction without ever asking who created the highway or where the highway actually leads. It is really really easy to walk in the counsel of the wicked. All you have to do is stop paying attention to the motives behind your choices and the goals you're actually trying to achieve. That's all it takes. It is so easy to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Like you just subtly start thinking, man, my significance comes from my job, so therefore I have to get this promotion in order to be important. My security comes from my 401k, so therefore I cannot, you know, there's this opportunity to give money to this thing, but I can't do that because that, that would make me insecure. That would put me at risk, right? Uh, I, I absolutely need this vacation because this vacation is how I will get rest and I will order everything, all my finances, my personal effort. None of that has anything to do with humble dependence on God. None of that has to do with I will find my deepest needs met in the overflowing grace of God, the presence of God, the love of God, the provisions of God. That is all about me providing for me. That is all about me ordering my life according to the values that lead me to where I think I need to go in order to take hold of the blessed life. Instead of recognizing that the blessed life is actually the byproduct of humbly walking in faith and continually responding to the grace and love of God. It's incredibly easy to walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's the first step, right? You're on the highway, and you're all moving in the same direction. To stand in the way of sinners, is it, it takes it a little bit further, right? Now, to stand in the way of sinners, if you think about it in, in kind of the Old Testament, like they, they didn't have highways like we do. We were all insulated in cars. You're, you're traveling down a, a well-worn path, right? And you're traveling with others. And to stand on that path means you're kind of getting comfortable with the people on it. You're actually building community with the people on the path. Now you're not just traveling toward a destination. You're actually hanging out, building relationships, Allowing the people on the path not just to influence your direction, but influence your identity, your values, your perspectives. You're cultivating the society. You're inviting people into the inner circle friendships of your life. To stand is the next step. You're not just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Now you're standing in the way of sinners. You're adopting the culture because you are moving into the depth of friendship. Now you're not just on the same highway. Now you've got people in the passenger seat next to you. They're in your car. Right? They've got influence over you. They get to pick your radio stations. You're like, dude, I always commute alone. Yeah, okay. What do you listen to on the radio? Like seriously, when I'm talking about influence, I'm not just talking about physical presence of people. I'm talking about people who are influencing how you see life, how you interact with people, how you set goals. If you're, if you're constantly listening to a steady stream of vitriol on talk radio, you're standing in the way of sinners. You've created a friendship with those who see life in a way that is fundamentally different 
and how God calls you to see life, and that's influencing you, right? The final uh, stage is to sit, to sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you're not just walking, now you're not just standing. Man, now you've, you've pulled up a chair. You know what I'm saying? Like you're comfortable in this way. You're in the path, you're sitting in the seat of the scoffer. The final sign that you are comfortable on this highway is that you've taken a chair. Now it's interesting to me that the psalmist pictures the pinnacle of wickedness as scoffing. Like most of us, if I were to say, what's like the most wicked thing? I bet one out of a thousand might or might not say scoffing. Like murder, adultery, you know, um, Bernie Madoff, Hitler, right? Like, like scoffing? Like scoffing seems so juvenile. It's just, it's just what we do to pass the time, right? But the psalmist presents scoffing as the pinnacle of wickedness. You know why? Because to sit in the seat of the scoffer is to sit in the place of self-satisfied pride. I may not have it all together, but I got it more together than you. I may not know everything right, but I know a whole lot more than you. I may not be perfect, but hmm, I'm a saint compared to you. The seat of the scoffer, man, it puts you in this place where you feel fully justified judging others. Looking down on others. And not just looking down on them, but magnifying what you perceive as their glaring weaknesses. You want to know why the seat of the scoffer is the pinnacle of wickedness? Because it is a demonic imitation of the throne of God. Only God gets to sit in the seat of judgment. Only God gets to measure the heart of mankind. To evaluate whether or not someone is, is, is righteous or unrighteous, good or bad, worthy or unworthy. Only God sits in that seat. The seat of the mocker is a cheap, demonic imitation of the throne of God. And this should scare us a little bit because we live in a culture of mockery. We live in a culture of scoffers. Everyone is trying to one-up everyone in their scoffing, right? We, it actually has come to the point where we treat it like a virtue, right? Oh, man, you really owned the libs on that one. Or, oh, man, you really held power to account on that one. You shamed those powerful people. The Christian culture has become way too comfortable in the seat of the scoffer. It's demonic, it's evil, it's wicked. You're like, Steve, I think you might be overblowing it a little bit. You know what, take a look at Jude 9. You're like, dude, there's no chapter. I know there's only one chapter. It's Jude 9 because it's the ninth verse, it's one chapter. Okay, so Jude 9, listen to this. I mean, seriously, listen to this. But when the archangel Michael, okay, you get in the archangel Michael, you ever heard of him? Like archangel? That's like pretty high up there, right? Not God, but just slightly below. Not just an angel, but an archangel. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoo. He's contending with the devil. That's pretty easy. 
right? That's low-hanging fruit, right? If you're going to condemn anybody, that's like condemning Hitler. That's why Hitler's always the example, because he's always bad. The devil's like, like right there in that same category. So easy, right? But when Michael the archangel's contending with the devil, he was disputing about the body of Moses. Don't ask me about that. I don't know. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. It wasn't his place to bring judgment. It would have been blasphemy for him to utter the judgment only God can give. And instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. If Michael the archangel is that afraid of sitting in the seat of scoffers, how afraid should we be? Like Michael the archangel hasn't sinned. (laughs) Listen, y'all. There are some people in our Christian circles who treat derision and mockery as if it were listed as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Beware of those people. Beware of their influence. Beware of how they can. Do not find yourself laughing at their mockery because you are entering into the demonic blasphemy of sitting in a fake imitation of the judgment seat of God. Watch your heart. Who you walk with determines who you become. You will walk like who you walk with. Look at your friends and you will see your future. Who do you give influence over you? Who sets your values, speaks to your fears? What media do you turn into? What people do you let shape your understanding of what is valuable and what is appropriate in the way we interact with this world? You need friends who delight in God's revelation of himself. This is the final verse, the landing point of the sermon. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. First of all, you need to value the word of the Lord. And you're like, no, it says law. Well, in this case, it means the fully revealed body of of what God has given to us in his word. Why do we value the law of the Lord? Because in it, God reveals himself. God's greatest gift to us in many ways is God's revelation of himself to us. And of course, the greatest revelation of himself to us is Jesus. When God became flesh and didn't just give us a written word, but became the living word of God, the living communication of who God is, right? Right? We need to be people who value the Word of God, who are immersed in the Word of God, who are, who are meditating on the Word of God. That word meditate in the Hebrew means to coo, to growl, or to mumble. And I think it describes somebody who's memorizing. I think it describes somebody who's like walking along like, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who does not, what, what is it, what is it? You know, like, like it is just this rumination this calling it to mind and going over it over and over and over again. You need to be somebody who values the Word of God, who intentionally creates space to invest your time into the Word of God. But listen, you need more than just an individual value of the Word of God. You need to enter into the company of the righteous. It's not just an individual activity. It's a communal activity. We are influenced by who we are with. 
We need to find people who value the word of God. Now be careful because there are those who delight in all kinds of things that shift their delight back to themselves. There are dudes who are totally into theology. But they don't love the God of their theology. They love their knowledge of their theology. There are those who love their practices of piety, their daily habits, and they love to judge others whether or not they're as good at them. But they themselves have lost their delight in the God about whom they're supposed to be delighting in. Listen, you know someone who's delighting in the law of God because they can't shut up about God. You know someone who's delighting in the law of God because they are undone by grace and they can't stop talking about grace and love. And when you're around them, you find yourself being ignited in your love for God. Surround yourself with people who are responding to the love of God and your heart will be awakened to the love of God. You need those kinds of friends. You want to be those kinds of friends because joy is contagious. Look for people whose joy in Christ increases your own joy. The company of the righteous is rich because they share the endless joy of God's endless love. All right, I have one final special application. And this is for those of you who um, are watching online through live stream, uh, potentially tuning in later in the week, catching the... uh, I just... It's time to come back, y'all. It's time to come back to the gathering of the church. You need the gathered body of Christ. There are many of us, I think, who have just kind of gotten into the habit. It's easier to tune in online. It's easier to grab the message in the middle of the week and think that as long as I get that information, I'm having the same experience. You are not right? The gathering of the church is not optional to the Christian life. It simply isn't. And this isn't just pastor talk. This is like Hebrews 10, 25. Do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The gathering of the body is essential for our spiritual health. Who we are with determines who we become. Yeah, but Steve, I don't get a whole lot of out of worship. You know, that's okay. We're not worshiping you, right? It's okay, right? You're showing up to worship God, right? Yeah, but Steve, I don't know that I'm getting a lot of encouragement out of the gathering. Okay, what are you bringing into the gathering? Bonhoeffer talked about how he never went to a church service where God didn't speak to him. He went to a lot of church services because he visited a lot of churches all around the world where Jesus wasn't even mentioned. How was he being encouraged by the Spirit of God at every one of those services? Because he came expecting to be experienced the Spirit of God. He prepared his heart to hear God, and he heard God even when the preacher himself wasn't proclaiming the Word of God. If you're coming to the gathering of the church and you're finding you're never encouraged, my question for you is how are you preparing your heart to be encouraged? Are you going through the process of softening your heart so that when the Spirit moves, you follow? When the Spirit speaks, you listen? When the Spirit woos you, you respond? It's time. It is time to prepare our hearts. It is time to become expectant. It is time for us to gather with the body to be encouraged. But Steve, man, you don't understand how busy my life is. I think I do. I saw a tweet this week. It said, treat going to church like your kids might get a scholarship from it. (laughs) Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
Do not order your life after the values of a world that is pursuing the blessed life apart from the God who gives the blessing. The gathering of the church is God's idea. And it is not optional for your spiritual health and well-being. If you're that busy, you're too busy not to be here. All right. Let's be people who pursue the blessed life. Let me close this word of prayer. We're going to share communion. And uh, well, I'll pray for us. Father, I, I thank you um, for, man, the gift of Jesus, that he is the blessed one, that, that man, he, he is the tree planted by streams of water. He bears his fruit in his season. His leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. And I thank you that he was willing to go to the tree to be crucified, that he might bear the iniquity that we bring to the table so that we could stand in the righteousness that's, that, that he brings. I thank you that there is an assembly of the righteous, not because we've all done it right, but because he's done it right and he's willing to share that with us by grace. Lord, make us wise in this complex and confusing world as we navigate the cloud of of this culture and, and, and we're trying to figure out where our next step should go, where our values should be, how we are to be a blessing to our kids and, and, and a blessing to our families and, and what it means to, to get the life we've always wanted. Lord, will you give us the clarity to follow the next cairn, to, to, to trust your word more than we trust ourselves. To trust what you say about what is real more than, than what the world says or what our heart says. That we might order our lives according to the principles that give you glory and bring us into the fullness of life that we crave. Lord, we pray for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.